1: Right now and fast, the Nasdaq's five-day winning streak is over. The S&P falls more than 1% and the dollar's just a hair away from parity with the euro. With earnings season about to start, should investors get ready to buckle up? Plus, a COVID surge in China. Cases rising at their fastest pace since May. The gaming mecca of Macau in the midst of a lockdown. Do investors need to prepare for more and more shutdowns in China? And later, Elon Musk giving Twitter the bird. The stock getting crushed as Musk tries to terminate the deal. Tesla shares tumbling, too. The chairwoman is set to tell us how she is trading this debacle of a deal. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site. On the desk tonight, Dan Nathan, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. We start off with the countdown to earnings. Markets eagerly awaiting reports from the big banks as well as names like Pepsi, Delta, and Taiwan Semi all out this week. Broad markets pulled back ahead of the kickoff with the Nasdaq off by more than 2%. Meantime, the dollar continues its eye-popping climb higher, coming within a penny of parity with the euro for the first time since 2002. So how much could that move impact company results? Dan.
2: Well, a lot. I mean, we've been talking about it over the last few weeks. I think it was that Microsoft pre-announcement for um, this quarter that's going to be reported in a few weeks that really got our antennas up. And they were specifically focused on the Mm -hmm. adverse effect of the strong currency. I think this is going to be very consistent with a lot of US multinationals. We've been saying you're going to hear a lot of company managements talk about constant currency. They're going to try to kind of avoid this recent surge that we've had. But quarter over quarter, year over year, it is big. And it's going to be a huge impact at a time where we know there's inflationary pressures whether it be input costs of all sorts of things going on. And then you just mentioned that kind of situation in China. So all of the things that you might have thought as we entered into the second half of this year that might be in the rear view mirror, they're still hanging around here. And I think the dollar is probably the one thing that people did not see it being where it is right now. We've seen lots of other things moderate in their prices, you know, oil, industrial metals, that sort right. of thing. The dollar keeps surging. So that is going to be a consistent theme, but it's well telegraphed. That's the one thing. If you go in this sure. quarterly earnings season, and that's what you're betting on a much lower market for, you might be mistaken or you might be disappointed in what you get to the downside because it's pretty well out there.
1: I mean, the issues, the overhangs, the concerns over Q2 earnings and the outlook for Q3 are really underscored, as Dan points out, um, by the headlines that we got today in terms of rolling China lockdowns that we thought were over and the continued climb of the U.S. dollar guy. And in fact, I mean, think about Microsoft when they came out and warned on FX How long ago that was and what the dollar's move has been since then
3: (laughs) and nike since then obviously and listen for every it seems like for every one percent move higher in the u.s dollar it's about a half a percent headwind uh for earnings so i mean if the dollar's up 16 percent this year effectively against major currencies i mean you're talking about an eight percent headwind for earnings growth and that comes into play and then you just start to ask yourself know what's the right multiple in this environment are companies going to use the dollar as an excuse to guide lower to just be somewhat marginalized in terms of guidance and yet and you say wait a second maybe the 220 dollars people are looking for is too optimistic maybe it should be closer to 200 and I think that's how you get to this 3400 level that we've all been talking about for quite some time now I thought the market would rally in the quarter end I thought it would rally in a holiday shortened week last week it didn't happen I still hold out some hope we'll see some sort of relief rally before that next move lower. But every day we go by, it makes you get a little more bearish and bearish, I think, Mel.
1: Right. Except the 10-year yield, at least, is holding sort of steady, Tim, and, and that's sort of helping with the markets at this point.
4: Like, I hate the macro. I, I hate twos, tens now being more inverted than it was last week, where eight or nine basis points inverted. This dollar conversation is more than just a currency translation of earnings. This this dollar translation is a story of global uh, peril. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it'd be, it's great to, to go on your European vacation uh, without the Griswolds, of course, uh, except for the fact that Europe's economy is a bigger, I, I think, impact on multinationals than even the currency translation. Dollar yen scares the you know what out of me because it tells you that the bank of Japan is so far off sides in terms of their monetary policy uh, and even uh, you know, a little bit of an adjustment there will be impactful. But uh, the breakout higher to to the dollar is is this morning uh, a terrible impact. And, and I think it's an impact more of, of uh, some of the macro disorder we have out there. It's not good for commodity prices. It's not good for emerging markets. It's not good for multinationals. Uh, it's not good for really for, for asset allocation for the most part. So I, I think that's the big story. But again, the yield curve, I'm not you know, yes, the 10 years holding kind of key support here around 3% on the 10 year. But what you're seeing in terms of the inverted yield curve, uh, we've all done this, uh, you know, what it means and what it signals for market tops. Obviously, we're not near market top. What it signals for the for the economy, though, uh, I, I think we probably have more rather than less of this. And I think as we had a chance to digest the, the labor data of Friday, uh, it's pretty clear that that payroll number was strong on the headline, but it wasn't really that strong. And I think we've all said, uh, I actually think again, I think the, the job market right now is not your problem. Um, it's not getting stronger, however.
1: Yeah. You know, the story about the runaway dollar is really the story of the ECB losing control of its currency, Brian Kelly. And, and <laughs> I mean, to the, to the point where the ECB, even if it starts hiking, I, I don't know how much that's going to sort of cushion that rise uh, at the U.S. dollar.
5: Right. But yeah. I mean, the, and it's, it's not just the ECB, right? J- uh, Bank of Japan, uh Bank of England uh they're all they're all in, a, in an inflationary environment but again the more they hike the worse their economy gets so you brought up Europe if Europe really hikes rates then Italy blows up and we have to have a discussion about the pigs again or whatever we're supposed to call them politically correctly but Italy Portugal all of those countries again come to light so it's a really thorny issue and the one thing about this is remember that where the currency markets is are where all the capital flows go so give you an example about Japan. If Japan decides to let their bond market go, they haven't done that yet, but what people are doing is they're, they're taking their Japanese yen, turning it into US dollars, and buying yield over here, even though 10 years don't yield that much, more than they used to. But if that trade re- reverses, then all of a sudden, you've got selling of treasuries, yields spiking, not because inflation's spiking, not because the economy's getting better, but because people are unwinding positions. And that's what's not priced into the market right now. So when we go into earnings seasons here, sure, everybody's going to talk about the dollar, but they're not talking about the continued rise in the dollar. And mm-hmm. so for outlooks going into Q3, I think that's where the risk is and that's where the danger is.
1: Yeah, and and companies are going to be conservative, right? I mean, (laughs) companies are not going to be rewarded by going out on a limb and delivering guidance that they cannot deliver on or, or that they have to revise a few weeks later, Dan, as we've seen time and time again here.
2: Yeah, that was a big theme. I think, you know, you're you're mentioning the revised a few weeks later. That was not a great look. Snap was one of them. There was a couple others that we saw doing that. And so again, I think as you think about, you know, what the visibility that these companies have, I think Tim just said it, he hates the macro. I think if you are um, a management and you're focused on kind of managing against, you know, your your own outlook, your peers, you know, everything else is going on. I think the the macro makes it very difficult. So again, I think, you know, John Chambers used to say this, remember Cisco, he's like, the things that we can control, like, you know right. and I think that that's the sort of market we are in focus on the things that the companies that you're invested in can control like if, costs. They're, yeah, if they're executing Capitalism. well they're gotten in front of this stuff they haven't you know Amazon's a great example of a stock that is really down much more than some of its mega cap peers because I think they were perceived to be have overspent in, in in this period over the last couple of years and so they're unrolling some of the hiring some of the logistics costs that sort of thing but you know to me I think earnings season's a great period to kind of get in touch with some of the stories especially in a confusing market like this that you want to think about longer than this period where you don't have a lot of visibility and I'll just say this you know pressing markets like this um, that are jittery um, that you know what I mean are with a lack of visibility can be a really hard thing and I think for a lot of investors who watch this show we've been talking about a lot of things that are on the doorstep of these companies right now but to get overly bearish at this moment before we go into this period where all these companies are gonna be speaking I think that's a really difficult proposition so again you know if you're a trader you'd be nimble if you're an investor I think you use the opportunity to get some more information about the stocks and the companies that you are really uh, optimistic about long-term.
1: Which sectors do you think investors are most offsides on, uh, Tim, when it comes to earnings estimates versus what we should be getting?
4: Well, the, the, the one place I'm most concerned about is, say, a Pepsi, uh, a PepsiCo consumer staples, and where you had this incredible tailwind of, of higher com- commodity prices feeding into food prices, uh, pricing power, and, and their ability to actually price it and pass it onward. The, the valuations for a Pepsi uh, relative to its, its, you know, consumer staples rel- as a group relative to their five-year history, which includes all the different trends of COVID and whatnot, are about 26 times expensive. I, I think, uh, you know, Delta's going to report, I, I think we've gotten a lot of insight into the airlines. I, I, I've probably been very wrong in the last six weeks on my view on airlines. But I do think we've got a lot of bad news priced in. And that uh, includes both demand and some of the, the, the dysfunction of getting planes and pilots back in the air. I, I think the the consumer uh, discretionary area is probably the place I think people just have no idea where they're going to warn, where they're going to guide. And you probably have to throw Apple into that group. And, and that's really where we want to hear. We've talked about the mega cap tech stocks in the first five minutes of the show. Um, technically, a lot of them look like they're at really really critical levels. Uh, they will be uh, it, they will certainly be a place to allocate capital as yields go lower. We've seen that. Uh, but I, I'm not willing to put my bets on companies, especially that a huge pull forward. And that that's certainly Apple, despite the fact I know we've seen some upgrades in Apple over the last couple of days. That's the place that we really uh, have to get some answers.
1: PK you've been bearish on the market. So I'm wondering how what you're doing, if anything, into earnings season.
5: Yeah, well, listen, I come into earnings season generally short uh, risk assets. But, uh, you know, to Dan's point, I do think you have to be pretty nimble here, right? Because the bar is low for earnings. What what my short bet is based on is that the dollar is going to be going higher and the fact everything that tim just talked about we don't know how the week the consumer is going to get the fact that we've had multiple companies have to come out in multiple weeks and revise their earnings uh, outlook lower and if we look at a lot of the kind of high frequency data it tells me the economy is slowing a lot faster than the equity market is actually pricing in at this point in time so that's my bet But I also know that some of the largest rallies in the history of the market happened during bear markets. So, you know, I'm going to probably risk maybe one to two percent of the portfolio on any short risk trade that I have uh, just because I don't want to get my face ripped off on a short covering rally.
1: All right. So how much has the street factor into estimates and into prices of equities? Let's bring in Paul Hickey of Bespoke for for more on this. Paul, great to have you with us. Hey, Mel. how are you? Good, Um, I know you're listening to the conversation. It's all about where we are relative to expectations. So how much do you think we have factored in? Have street estimates come down enough to reflect this new reality that we are in? And that is a much higher dollar, rolling China lockdowns and a quickly weakening economy.
6: Yeah, so I mean, there's all sorts of headwinds um, leading up to this segment. I don't think there was anything positive that um, anyone had to say about this upcoming earnings season. And it's hard for me to think of anything positive coming into this earnings season. Last week, all we kept hearing was about how expectations are too high coming into this reporting period. Yet, on the then on the cover of the journal this morning, it's talking about expectations are too talking about expectations again being too rosy. But um, I just saw a story coming on come by before I came on that said over the last five days, you've seen analysts cut estimates on. Uh, S&P 500 companies either price targets or earnings estimates 500 times over the last five uh, five trading days. So it's the average of one for every company. So we've seen a ratcheting down of expectations. Overall, we've seen uh, for the S&P 1500 as a whole, we've seen a higher than average um, number of downward revisions versus positive revisions. And the only sector over the last month that has seen more positive revisions. The negative revisions is energy. So, I mean, we we've seen a quite a um, I think ratcheting down of expectations. Longer term, for as far as the macro picture is concerned, that's another story. But in the short term, I think you've seen uh, a, a good degree of lowering the bar for the companies reporting in the next few weeks.
3: Paul when things were really good in the market let you know go back to last summer even before that the S&P 500 was trading anywhere between 22 and 23 and a half times forward earnings it was there for a long period of time obviously in my opinion overextended my question back to you is 17 is probably the norm but can we overshoot to the downside And if the answer is yes how long can we stay there what's the right multiple I guess in this environment.
6: Well, I mean, I, I think it depends on how quickly things uh, start to turn around. We're definitely seeing a slowdown in economic momentum, and when you see the, you know, start to see a reversal, that will be more positive. But, Guy, to your point about valuations, um, the two sectors that have seen the most negative revisions heading into this earnings season are technology and consumer discretionary. So the bar is set very low, and when we've seen uh, similar levels of negative sentiment um, in these two sectors. Typically, they've had positive earnings seasons, so that sets the stage for potentially a short-term bounce. But even these two sectors, after their pullbacks that we've seen, their valuations are in the upper half of their 10-year range. So it's not like these sectors are, you know, bang the table cheap here. Uh, it's just in the short term they could be set the stage. They could be set up for a bounce as you as the bar has been set low. It reminds me of last October. I was on and we were talking about the upcoming earnings season. Nike had just reported a horrible quarter and talked about how everything that could be going wrong as far as supply chain uh, labor issues was going wrong. And we were, you know, we were thinking, okay, it's going to be, you know, the the consensus was that it was going to be a very weak earnings season. But then what we had pointed out in, in our discussion was that Nike in the week since that earnings report had actually recovered most of its losses and was showing better uh, performance. You look to this past June, what we've seen, 130 companies reported earnings in the month of June, close to 80% beat EPS and revenue forecasts. Obviously it's easy to beat EPS and revenue forecasts, but the point is that's a higher than average level uh, just in the last month of companies reporting. We actually saw slightly more companies raise guidance than lower guidance. Again, it's a sample size of uh, 130, but it hasn't been this disaster like uh, the disaster that so many people are expecting coming up this earnings season. So if the first impressions are anything to uh, you know to rely on, it hasn't been so bad. And stocks have actually averaged a slight positive return um, on the day of their earnings reaction day. So overall, I mean, it's not too. We've seen some positive signals in terms of the stock reactions to earnings.
1: Paul, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. You too, thanks. Paul Hickey of Bespoke. Um, Tech is a huge sector. It's got a lot of components in it. Small, very large. And I'm wondering about the very large guy. You know, earlier we were discussing this downgrade by Needham um, of Meta to an underperform. This after the stock has lost 50% of its value over the course of a year or so. Um, Wall Street abandons its favorites very slowly. And you have to wonder in this environment, right, uh, if, if the estimates have come down enough on these big cap tech mm-hmm. stocks that have been the do- streets' darlings for so long that will have the biggest impact on the markets if they miss.
3: Yeah, and that's something that Carter Work talks about, the generals sort of being the last to go at the end of these moves to the downside. And I think that's what we're probably on the brink of, I would think. But then before we came on air... I was watching the overtime and they were talking about Cowan with a 40% upside in Apple. So, you know, there's definitely some people trying to play stock market here as well. I do think there's still too much enthusiasm overall for a lot of those mega cap names. And to Mm -hmm. your point earlier about, you know, why would companies guide higher in this environment? I'm with you. The real question is, is it priced in? I don't think it is yet.
2: Yeah, I'll just mention this, that, you know, I've never seen such a wide gap between where, you know, Paul can give us all the quotes he wants about the cuts to estimates and this. Sometimes it's death by a thousand cuts. There's small little cuts here expectations for 2022 EPS are still considered to be up high single digits. So there's a high expectation. That bar is set. And then one of the, the I think the spread between where investors are, I've never seen it so negative. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's an opportunity to kind of meet in the middle that might not spell disaster You know, a few weeks from now when we're on the other side of most of S&P 500 earnings. And it might just kind of play itself out over the balance of, I guess, Q3 and into Q4. But it's not all going to happen this earnings season. I think we're spoke. We're focused a lot on that right now. I just think that a lot of the you know, a lot of the hints are out there, but it's not going to happen all at once. And that's the story of the market in 2022, because it's been one step forward, two steps back.
1: Coming up, home suite, Nope. The new home buying report that shows buyers are mixing their nest deals at remarkable paces. Are the details ahead, plus China's COVID lockdowns hitting some major areas of the market, the impact it could have on some top names. We've got the latest when Fast Money returns. Back in two.
4: Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond.
0: To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com.
7: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Talk about buyers' remorse. A new report from Redfin shows home buyers are backing out of deals at the highest pace since the start of the pandemic. The surge in mortgage rates and inflation causing potential buyers to reconsider. Home builders seeing higher cancellation rates as well. So obviously the impact on home builders. And I was trying to think and game out what the impact Tim would be on a restoration hardware. If people are staying in their homes maybe they'd be more inclined to fix their homes or invest in their homes?
4: Well, I, I think that's been the argument for Home Depot and Lowe's for sure. And, mm-hmm. and I think the affordability factor is is really what this comes down to. Look, the housing data that we've seen in the most recent housing data, Case Shiller, in terms of house prices uh, over the last year, you know, I, I think through May, first of all, we were up 15 percent year over year, and yet houses sold was down 7.1, and houses for sale was down 5.2 or 3 percent. Um, this is a environment where I do think you're spending money on the house you're in, and and the ability to move, or you know, either find the house that you want, maybe not. Uh, the ability to sell the house you're in at the price you expected to, maybe not. I think the, the restoration story, it, it's fascinating. If you look at the XHB uh, index, uh, excuse me, the Home Builders ETF versus uh, where yields have gone, it's it's actually outperformed the S&P in the last two months or so as yields have really started to uh, to moderate and in some cases sell off. In fact, we saw uh, some of the housing stocks have the best weeks of all of them in the last 10 days as we went from 345 down below 3% on the 10 so um, restoration on valuation uh, at sonoma on valuation make a ton of sense. These stocks are cheaper than they were going into the pandemic, and that's on an expected earnings. It's not on a trailing uh, Goldilocks scenario. So, um, yes, I do think it's a great uh, environment to be someone that's serving the housing sector, those who are not buying. But I- I'm not ready to say that the worst is over for these companies yet, because I think the sentiment around the sector still mm-hmm. is significant. And I'm not sure that rates aren't still going to go higher.
1: Right. Although they have come back down. And Guy, you were mentioning this on our, our phone call earlier. And that is, I mean, if you were looking for a mortgage, let's say a month ago, you were looking at a much higher rate and Then all of a sudden it, it does a U-turn. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing the volatility, volatility that we've seen in the rates market.
3: Yeah, Brian brought it up as well. I mean, I think 10-year yields got up to 330 and change. I mean, seemingly within six or seven, maybe 10 trading days, we were down at 275. Now we're back Either side of three percent you know again bond volatility is probably double that of equity volatility i think at some point it manifests itself in the equity market in terms of this conversation though i'm sort of with tim on this one restoration hardware i mean at least now you can make a case at 12 times next year's numbers that it's somewhat reasonable on valuation it didn't do a complete round trip from those march 2020 lows in terms of the stock price but it got sort of close so You know what, I think RH for a play here, given what we talked about earlier, makes a little bit of sense.
1: Brian Kelly, where are you in this trade?
5: Uh, You know, for me, it's don't fight the Fed. For this last several meetings, they they have said we do not want housing prices higher. We need to worry about housing affordability. So um, I don't think this whole thing is over until the housing market really cracks. And hearing that there's been some cancellation doesn't constitute a housing market crack to me. So, you know, at 12 times earnings, do I want to buy Restoration Hardware? No, but it's not like I want to short it either. I still think there's a lot more pain in the housing market uh, because the Fed told you so. All right. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
0: The China effect. COVID lockdowns weighing on casinos and tech stocks. So will the pressure persist? The details next. Plus, biotech bets. Shares of Moderna on the upswing. But can you bet on the momentum continuing? How options traders are playing the name. Next, you're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
7: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business welcome to Connie's coffee how may I help
8: you
1: AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aARP start planning today at aarp.org/ money tools
7: what's on the horizon for financial markets?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at casino stocks win. Las Vegas Sands, MGM Resorts getting hammered with Macau in the midst of a lockdown. It's tied to another COVID surge in China. Cases are rising at their fastest rate in two months. And now a new Omicron subvariant has been detected there. Our next guest suggests the fallout may just be starting. Dewardrick McNeil is a senior policy analyst at Longview Global. He's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Dewardrick, great to have you with us. So the lockdowns now are, are basically rolling. I mean, they're in three cities at the very least at this point. They've got Macau pretty much completely shut down in terms of all of its casinos not operating and only essential businesses operating there. So when you say that the impact is just beginning, it's not just economic that you're talking about. Are you also talking about social unrest at this point?
0: All of that is a possibility, Melissa. Let me say I I wish that I was surprised that we're here talking about this again, but uh, I'm not, because as Xi Jinping has repeated, Zero COVID is still the policy of China. And what that means is when there are outbreaks, particularly BA.5, the subvariant Omicron, highly contagious, that means China's best approach to fighting the pandemic is through lockdowns. It has no mRNA vaccines to do this, a weak health system, an aging population, and they have been fairly successful fighting the pandemic using lockdowns. So I expect that this is going to be a rolling situation, at least until March of 2023 is what many people uh, believe. And you know, last time I was on, Tim said something that resonated with me. He said, I'm much more interested in policy trends than in top line GDP numbers. And I think that's right. But when China reports its GDP numbers next week for the second quarter, we expect that to be about 1.4%. And that is a direct result Of China's decision to put pandemic control ahead of economic growth. And so this is going to continue. So I would suggest that investors be a little bit more cautious and less exuberant about China.
4: Dwardrick, it's Tim. So let's let's go in a slightly different direction. And let's ask uh, policy uh, around economic dynamics as it relates to the currency. So if I look at the yuan or the renminbi, whichever you're looking onshore or offshore, um, you've had a major sell off, again, in relative terms for a currency that's highly controlled. Um, Is is capital flight something we should be worried about here? Um, And is any of that something that is is part of the particular seemingly lockdown of of the casino sector? Um, But are you worried about the currency and are you worried about what they need to do to defend
0: it? Well, Tim, it's a good question. You'll recall that earlier in the year, there was lots of of capital flight as we've moved through that spring lockdown. The problem, though, Tim, has been that Western markets have also not been performing well, and so investors are unsure where to go. But I I suspect we're seeing uh, a lot of issues, pressure on the renminbi because people are starting to realize that, in fact, COVID zero is here to stay for the foreseeable future, and that means volatility in the chinese markets as well so i think we're i think we're in for a long ride here Tim, on on the currency side of this as well Mm -hmm. in terms of the the
1: supply chain uh dewardrick this also means the volatility when it comes to um the security of the supply chain just at a point when companies are starting to to say that things are seem to be improving at least
0: well this may sound like a broken record melissa but the last time we discussed this i said you need a just in case because This is not going away. I mean, places like uh, Shandong, which has some outbreak that's been reported, seven ports in Shandong. We know about the port in Shanghai. So there will be impacts on the supply chain and that will impact inflation in other places. So it's not easy to unwind those supply chains, but I do think companies get the point that they're going to have to find some alternative and start to have a just-in-case that's not dependent on a single point of failure being China.
1: De Wardrick, always good to speak with you. Get your take. Appreciate it. Thank you, it. Melissa. DeWardrick McNeil of Longview. Um, Brian Kelly, where are you on the China trade? For some time, there was some exuberance that investing in China could be something good. Beijing seemed to be taking its foot off the neck of tech companies there and, and being easy when it comes to its monetary policy. Things were coming up roses for, I don't know, a couple of weeks.
5: Yeah, for a little bit, right? And they put a two a two hundred billion dollar stimulus. They want to build some ghost cities again. Um, you know, eventually they'll likely probably have to weaken their currency once again. Um, but again, it comes back to this COVID zero policy. If you continue to have this COVID zero policy, not only does it snarl the uh, supply chain, but it forces everybody to reshore. And that's why inflation in this country is unlikely to go down to the levels that the Fed thinks it's going to. So this is more than just, you know, COVID in China and maybe a couple supply chains impacted there. If this becomes a permanent thing, which it looks like it is, then you've got some bigger issues to deal with. So uh, for for me, I'm looking at like the Hang Seng index, you can look at EWH, I believe is the ETF on that. That looks to me pretty vulnerable in this environment. Guy?
3: BK's right on. I mean, on the, just on, you would look at this and say this is pretty deflationary, right? But actually, I think it's extraordinarily inflationary for the points that Brian just made, which makes the Fed's job that much more difficult, which makes being overall bullish in the market that much more difficult i mean again we talk about the putin price hikes in energy you know that's a cool thing to say i guess but i mean part of this a lot of this inflation story is coming from china and that's not going away anytime
2: soon which means the fed's job by definition is going to be difficult
3: for the foreseeable
2: future yeah. And I'll just add this, you know, Guy, you've been highlighting a lot of these geopolitical situations, uh, you know, for uh, it feels like a year now. Look what happened over the weekend in Sri Lanka. I mean, those protests that launched, you know, like their their president to leave the nation is about fuel and food and all this sort of stuff. So I actually think this is going to be something that we see, you know, like just over the next year or so. And the longer China disrupts supply chain and really slows the global economy, I just think it's that, you, you know, we're going to be dealing this, with this sort of stuff for a while here. And in China, you know, you know, the longer they do this is going to be the worst for the global reflation trade
1: and imagine if we see this in europe that's right all right where they might have to ration natural gas and, and energy use um all right coming up social fallout elon musk trying to back out of his big twitter deal how one of our traders is navigating the name next and check out shares of moderna surging nearly 38 percent over the last month the move sparking some interest in the options pits. how they are playing it next fast money's back right after this
0: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Moderna announcing today that one of its booster candidates is showing strong results against new sub-variants of COVID. The stock has quietly risen nearly 38% in the past month, and one option trader is betting there are more gains to come. Mike Coe has the action. Mike.
3: Yeah, so Moderna traded more than 1.6 times its average daily call volume today, calls out pacing puts by a little bit better than 3 to 2. Now, the most active options were the July 180s, not surprisingly, but the trade that really stuck out to me was in the October 250 strike calls. We saw 1,000 of those trading for $5.70 a contract or thereabouts this morning. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that Moderna has potentially a lot more room to the upside. They're risking just under $600,000, And if you hold that until expiration, the stock would need to appreciate more than 40% for those to be profitable.
1: Wow. Guy, where do you stand on Moderna at this point after the run?
3: I think you stay with it, but I think the better way to play is probably IBB. If you look at bottom within a month in May and again in June around 105, it's bounced from there. You have a nice double bottom. So I think if you want to sort of spread it out, it's IBB. But if you want to go even deeper, I mean, look at the big cap pharma names that we have talked about seemingly for months on this show. Lily within a whisper of an all-time high. Merck, same thing. Bristol-Myers come off a little bit, but that's still within an earshot of its all-time high. I think you stay with Big Cap Farm as well, Mel.
1: Mike, thanks. Mike Coe for more Options Action. Tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time coming up. The fallout from Elon Musk's Twitter termination, or attempted termination, how one of our traders is playing the news. We'll bring you the long and the short of it next. Plus, Prime to deliver. Amazon gearing up for Prime Day. So is the retailer worth relying on in your portfolio? The traders will break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter shares rising slightly after the company's legal team said Elon Musk's attempt to back out of his takeover agreement is, quote, invalid and wrongful. It's the latest development in what could be a long legal battle. And all the drama has the chairwoman making some moves on the stock. Karen Feinerman joins us now on the Fast Line. Karen, thanks for calling in. Um, and as sure, soon as you hi. heard the news on Friday, you jumped right into the pool and, and started um, strategizing. So what'd you do?
8: So Friday after that came out, I shorted stock, and just on the idea of what's going to happen next. Over the weekend, he's going to trash the company. People are going to get really nervous. What's it worth without him? What's worth? What's it worth if he drops and they can't close? And he sells all his stock, and that's maybe somewhere in the 20s, and so people would get really nervous. So that's what I thought would happen next. So it did, close. It did trade down today. Now, remember, it was down after the close, so the, the overall change wasn't so great today, but it did trade down a couple of bucks. I covered, because now I'm thinking, all right, what's going to happen next now? And we, the end game is too hard to figure out. What's just the next thing? So I think the very next thing is, is Twitter's legal team, not this letter, but filing a motion in Delaware court seeking equitable relief, seeking it on an expedited basis, and with that filing is going to come every reason of why they think they're in the right and Elon's in the wrong, and this is the absolute a team and this thing is going to read so well and i think that's going to sort of change the momentum a little bit and make people think wow they've really got a great case he's going to have to close or he's going to have to cut a you know maybe a lower deal but still substantially up from here that's the next thing so i'm only looking for the very next thing so i bought calls that expire this friday and next friday and i think you know i could either make multiples of my money or they go to zero but something's so, going to
1: happen. Right. And then after that, the earnings will come out. And you're not expecting much, uh, if yeah. anything.
8: It, it worse than not much, I think. I'm <laughs> expecting way worse than not much. And I think after that also will be a response to the filing, to response to the lawsuit, which I don't okay. think will be as good, but it may be good.
2: So, okay, fine. It looks like you're uh, looking to risk less, make more on this trade idea. I, listen, <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing i just say. Look at Snap. We've talked about it on the desk a lot over the last you know, mm-hmm. few months or so. And look at Pinterest. They're both down 80% from their all-time highs made last year. Right now, Twitter's down about 60%. If this thing goes away, and this is past your expiration of your call purchases, there is no reason to think that this stock should not be down 80% from its all-time highs. We've also made the case, compared to Snap, when you think about they have the same revenue base, Snap's growing much faster, much better management. They don't have all the issues going on here. It just seems like this one, without any kind of near-term resolution, um, you know, this thing's going lower because that quarter's going to be bad. And, and listen to me, the management, the board, everything's blown up. It's over for these guys for now. They're going to have to reshape this whole company once this thing from Elon is, you know, in the rearview mirror.
8: Karen, can you I I give us some- I can't argue with that. I'm just saying it's all about the merger agreement and the court. Right.
1: Can you give us some color in terms of what the strikes are on the calls that you have that expire this week and, and next week and what your what your expectation is for the trade beyond that?
8: I have no beyond that. Um, okay. But it's July. They're July 34 and thirty-fives uh, that expire this Friday and next Friday. I think there's a reasonable shot. We see a expedited. We see a quick filing for expedited uh, review here because I think Twitter, they can't just let this noise be out there while their company is in such a disarray. they got to get going. And this isn't, you know, they had all weekend to work on it. This isn't shocking. You can see them, you know, Elon sort of building this, this paper trail of how he was mm-hmm. going to try to wriggle out. That wasn't, so it's not so shocking. So, right. that's, the, so at, that's what I think I could make multiples or trades really crappy and, you know, lose my premium. All right.
1: Karen, thanks for phoning in.
8: Yep all right thanks
1: guys the chairwoman joining us on the fast line it's always fun to hear karen play stock market guy right i mean it's it's shocking it. but it. <laughs> but it's very smart and it's interesting no, to it's, see how she strategies how she thinks about every step and this is just an immediate trade right here
3: and you can tell her love of the game comes through in situations mm-hmm. like this and both her and dan were spot on when this was announced however many months ago both of them thought it was a bit forgazy, and I think both of them were trying to fade the stock at that point. So when Karen makes a comment like this or a trade like this, I think you have to listen. But I'll say this and I think everybody would agree. The risk to me continues to be with Tesla, which traded horribly today. I think a lot of people thought, as it turns out incorrectly, that Tesla might trade up on the back of that announcement last week. And it obviously didn't. So I think there's some still real risk in Tesla shares here.
2: Yeah, I'll just say this about the options trade, when you're looking at short dated options, and I want to be really clear about this, she's saying I'm risking one to possibly make multiples. you got to think about what's the probability of success. If you look at the next week, July 22nd, 35 strike calls, they're about 2% of the stock price, but the options market is only saying it's about a 30% probability that they will be in the money by then. And so again, if you want to risk what you're willing to lose, that's great, but you got to take a look at the probabilities, because otherwise you're throwing good money after bad in a trade like this. Puts Putting your finger on the timing of a trade like this is really hard
1: yeah i mean one outcome could be that they they negotiate a higher breakup fee which could mean that that there is some pressure on tesla stock that investors in tesla need to figure out bk but i'm wondering where you stand in terms of um the pressure on tesla stock versus the pressure on twitter stock what's greater at this point
5: Uh, well i think in the in the short term you're looking at probably more pressure on tesla stock because at least on the twitter side you've got this potential for the things that you talked about that there's going to be a good letter there's going to be maybe a higher breakup fee these type of things so that's a very short-term view um the other thing i would add that we haven't talked about is the cryptocurrency angle to this a lot of people bought dogecoin thinking elon's going to buy twitter and make it the coin of twitter I mean, I think. First of all, I thought the odds of that were very low before this. I think there's almost next to zero chance he does that in the next year now. So there's not a lot of reason to own Dogecoin either. I'm glad you added the Doge troy to trade too, because that's a you know
1: yeah. <laughs> news you can use. Um, it's big trade. To- it is, well, yeah, for some. Um, Tim, where do you stand on this in terms of, I mean, there is a case we made that, that uh, you know, the, the Twitter never traded as if this deal was going to go through. So there is a lot of skepticism already priced into the stock. Do we know that there's no other bidders out there? Yeah, we know that already. Do we know that Twitter's not really, you know, doing well as a company compared to its competitors? We know that already. So isn't a lot of the bear case factored in?
4: I think so. Uh, And again, I've never seen more trader in Karen than I've seen in in this name. Good for her. Um, I think the argument uh, of Twitter relative to the Nasdaq is a fair one that it's got some room to the downside. But um, we've seen all the warts at this point. I don't think any of this is a surprise to Twitter shareholders at this point.
1: All right. um, Check out this uh, interesting item that we found for disgruntled Twitter investors and Twitter employees who want a piece of Elon Musk. This could be your chance. A Brooklyn artist collective called Mischief is selling Eat the rich ice cream. You can take a bite out of Elon, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Ma, or Jeff (laughs) Bezos. The popsicles, though, aren't cheap. Ten bucks a pop. So you got to be rich to eat the rich. Ten bucks a piece. You can buy, like, gallons of ice cream. Tim, you're the Mr. Ice Cream Man. You can buy at least, like, three Ben & Jerry's, I think, or two. I, I, look, even
4: if I had the 10 bucks to buy those things, they, they look creepy. That Zuckerberg one, I, I mean, I, I, no, I'm not, not going near those.
1: They, they don't look appetizing to me, at least. Um, coming up, we've got much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bill Ackman's Tontine Holdings announcing it could not complete a transaction. It will return $4 billion to investors. The SPAC was originally supposed to merge with Universal Music, but that deal fell through. I feel like this is a sign of the times in terms of Um, SPACs and market conditions, Tim?
4: Without question. And remember, SPACs have a timeline to get a deal done. And clearly that's part of the issue here. I mean, he may say that this is uh, about available prospects and good deals out there, but clearly uh, it's going to take a long time to, to, to work through this lawsuit.
2: Yeah. Um, well, no, think? they had a deal. He, he identified a deal. They had a deal. And I think it seems like the parties don't think that it's a good deal anymore. And you're going to see a lot of this. This is going to happen. And then you're also going to see SPAC sponsors just kind of say we're done because they you know, th- their reputations are on the line mm-hmm. to do a de- bad deal, do it at a wrong time, having the pipe investors. Pull out. So there's a lot of things going on here. I just think that this is this is important because this was the biggest one, I think, of the whole cycle. Right. isn't it?
1: I feel like this is a poster child. I mean, for the huge wave in SPACs that we saw, think of all the ones that have not done a deal yet and are watching the tick, the clock tick away, Brian Kelly. Um, their time is just running out quickly. The window's closing.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and think about it. What, what deal is out there that's great to do right now? I mean, we have seen some private valuations drop. Um, but probably for right reasons. So I-, I think this is the first of many. It's probably a good thing. We just flush this all out, return that capital, and put it to productive use. All right. Up next, final trades. Welcome back.
1: A quick programming note: Be sure to tune in tomorrow for a double dose of fast money. We're getting ready for earnings season with a second hour at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So tweet us your questions at CBC Fast Money. Can you imagine two full hours? <sighs> of us amazing <laughs> time for the final train let's go around the horn tim seymour uh, i'll
4: be there i can't wait it's gonna be fun <laughs> so uh pfizer reports at the end of july i think they are one of those multinationals with fx headwinds uh but i do think if you look at that p very compelling less than eight times next year pfizer right to break out key levels here
1: brian kelly
5: yeah i too have my vcr set for the big show tomorrow night be watching that uh, but in case you miss it and you wake up tomorrow and the dollar's higher, you sell triple Q. You upgraded from the Betamax, I see. Guy Dami.
1: <laughs> uh, Mel, I hope there's a bathroom break for people my age in
3: between shows tomorrow. Number one. Dollar Gen, this environment works for them. DG.
1: Dan.
2: I won't be on, so you guys are all spared. <laughs> um, no, I like the Snap. I don't like the Twitter here, and I just think Snap is monetizing better, growing faster without all the drama.
1: All right. Well, thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at five for a double header Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
7: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.